thank you all for being here this morning. I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon Church, and I am so glad to see each and every one of you here this morning. Thank you to those of us who are joining us online. We are so glad that you are part of our community in that way this morning. We are starting a new message series this morning. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. This this message series came out of several conversations that I've had over the, the last year to 15 months with people um, just who have who may never step foot in a church, right, but who have called me in the midst of sort of the craziness of life over the last few months, over the last year or so. And they said, Erica, tell me there's more to life than this. Tell me that there's more to life than this. Tell me that what we're working through, what we're walking through, what we're dealing with right now, tell me that this will not be wasted. And I began, I I said what I felt like I was supposed to say, yes, nothing is wasted, nothing is wasted, nothing is wasted. But I began to see myself ask this question. I began to feel myself cry out to God the same question. What is happening? God, tell me that this is not going to be wasted. Tell me that the year that we put in to the church before COVID happened and thing, everything changed. Tell me that that year will not be wasted. Tell me that the things that we are going through, that we are walking through right now, tell me that it's not going to be wasted. And as I said this, as I cried out to God, I felt like God reminded me this isn't the first time in my life that I've asked these questions. As a junior in high school, I sprained my ankle. I was ranked number one in the state in, tra in three different track and field events, pole vault, long jump, and triple, triple jump. And in the last meet, regular season meet of the season, I sprained my ankle really bad, a stage four sprain, and I was out for the rest of the track season. Your junior year is when you're recruited by college coaches to go into a track career. And I, I watched that, that opportunity, that, that time to, to change, to, to move into college recruiting process, I watched it just dissolve and be shattered. And I, I remember crying out to God, like, what is happening? What is happening? Is all this that I've done for three years in high school track, is that wasted? Is that wasted? I remember my first year of teaching. I taught for a year before I became a pastor. And I remember in that first year of teaching, about February or March, I remember knowing, like, this was not the career path for me forever. I, I enjoyed teaching, but I didn't enjoy all the, the parts of teaching. I just knew that I wasn't cut out to be a teacher. And I remember in February or March, crying out to God, this certainly, certainly this last 10 months of teaching is not going to be wasted, right? I remember asking that question after planting a church that didn't make it um, in Nashville for two years, working really hard to plant a church. And I remember the day that we had the meeting that was going to be our last church meeting. And I remember asking God, like, is all of this work going to be wasted? Have you guys asked yourselves these questions? Chris and I, in the middle of, of a struggle of infertility, we ask ourselves, is this this journey, is our dreams, is our hopes, are these going to be wasted? Has anybody here asked yourself this question? Is this season of my life really worth it? Is it really worth it? Is this hard stuff that I'm going through, is it going to be wasted? 
I'm here to tell you this morning that nothing is wasted. I have come to believe that with every fiber of my being as I have begun to prepare this message, that nothing is wasted. We serve a creator and a God where nothing is wasted. I don't, I don't know if you all know this, but at the Allen House, we added three chickens to our backyard in November. The very beginning of November, we added three chickens to our backyard Yes, we have three children and two dogs, and I have made smarter decisions in my life than to add more animals to our house. But we have three chickens. They live in a coop in the backyard. So there's this like bottom section of the coop where they spend their time. They run. It's called the chicken run. They like eat down there. They hang out down there. It's like where they get their exercise. And then there's a house like on the second level of this. They live up in the house. And, and about January, Chris and I go outside to check on the chickens, and we remembered something about chickens. We had chickens in Nashville before we moved to Tampa, and we remembered something about having chickens, and that is that chickens are gross. So chickens, um, they, they don't smell great. There's a reason why if you've been to a chicken farm, like you can smell it miles away. Chickens have a lot of um, solid waste. There's just a lot of, of that. So they don't smell great. So about January, we go out there and we're like, oh, yes, we forgot how gross chickens were. And we were going to have to do something with all of this waste in our backyard. And so we were like, we don't, we don't know what we're going to do. But thank goodness, Chris thought ahead. And before we put the chickens in, the the Mother's Day before that, Chris gave me a really sweet gift. He built a three-bin composter in the back, in our backyard. Does everybody know what a compost is? It's where you take, like, yard waste, and you can put chicken waste, but you can put certain, wa- like, table scraps, like veggie scraps. You cut up your cantaloupe or your watermelon. You can put all that stuff in, in a pile, and it mixes together, and it creates this fertilizer that's really awesome for your garden, okay? So... We, we read about this, and you can put chicken waste also in this. So the chicken waste and our trash from our house, like literally our trash from our house, and our paper, we could shred our paper, our grass clippings, all of this waste, all of this trash from our house, we decided could be put in the compost bin, we'd mix it all up, and it would become this fertilizer, this really black, good, rich matter for our cucumbers and our tomatoes. We also have raised beds. So literally, we take the trash and the, the waste, the stinky, rotten mess, it, it decays, it does its thing back there, it mixes all together, and it becomes this rich fertilizer, this black, like amazing, rich fertilizer that we use on our garden. And there was this moment in January, we're planning for this sermon series, nothing is wasted. I'm carrying my kids' banana peels out, dumping them in the compost. Chris, because let's be honest, it's Chris, it's not me who's scooping this stuff off the bottom of the chicken coop and putting it in the back. All of this mess, all this waste, like literally poop and and trash and and extra stuff that we don't need in our house anyway, is all like together rotting, doing its thing together, and then it becomes this fuel for new life. Our cucumbers and our tomatoes and our peppers and our eggplants and our spinach and our lettuce thrive when we put this stuff that we used to throw away, when we put it all together and let God, the creator, do what God does so well, nothing is wasted. In fact, all of that mess All of that trash becomes fertilizer and fuel for new life. And every 
single day as I walk out to that compost bin to put the trash in it, as I walk out to the compost bin and we scoop waste and put in it, I, I just have to be amazed at a God, a creator God, who does the exact same thing in our lives. The poopy mess, the trash that nobody else wants, the stuff that, that you think has no value or no worth that you just want to go out to a landfill and be buried and never see again. All of that stuff, God mixes together. God mixes it together with serving others, with with a small group that's going to encourage you and support you, with friends that are going to love you and encourage you. God mixes all of that stuff together, and not one single thing in your life is wasted. God uses it all as fuel for new life so that other people can know about the goodness of God and other people can know about the light that God has and the, the change that God wants to have through Jesus. God takes all of this mess, all of these things that we think have no point in our world, God mixes it all together and God shows us this promise that that stuff is really rich. It is really good for new things, new really good, awesome things to be born in the world. God has created us, created the world in a way that nothing is wasted. Our brokenness, our trash, the things that, that look like it should be wasted, not one single bit of it will be wasted. It will actually be used for fuel for new life and new transformation. In case you're sitting here wondering, what's God going to do with this shattered and broken life of mine? Not one single ounce of it will be wasted. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some, some rotting, some decaying, some mixing it up, some changing what it looks like, but it does mean not one single thing that you brought with you today, not one betrayal, not one hurt, not one ounce of shame, not one thing you've done wrong, not one ounce of, of grudges that you hold against other people, not one single bit of it will be wasted. God will mix it with the good things in this world, and it will literally be used as fuel for new life, for this world to know about new life. And there's a story in the Bible that helps this to come true, helps us to know this in a real way. That story is the story of a man named Joseph. It can be found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. So everybody else is going to spend their summer out on the beach reading these awesome new books that came out in 2021 because people had lots of time to write good books in 2020, right? So they're going to be reading these awesome books. I'm telling y'all, take your Bibles, open it up to Genesis chapter 37 and read Genesis chapter 37. 37 through 50. Read this story of Joseph. There's romance and betrayal. There's forgiveness and restoration. It's this amazing, amazing story. So take some time to read it this summer. 37 through 50. It's 13 chapters. Read a chapter a day. It is, it is really, really good. We're going to look at the first chapter today, Genesis chapter 37. This guy named Joseph brings all of this mess. There are circumstances in his life. There's all these crazy things going on in his life, and he brings it God is able to, to show us that nothing will be wasted. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, we're going to read the whole chapter today. So if y'all can just hang on with me, we're going to kind of speed read it, but it's going to be really good. We need the whole chapter to really figure out what it is God it wants to say to us who believe we might have something that's wasted today. God's going to show us it's, it's not wasted because of God's goodness. Listen here. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land 
land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, our main character of this, of this story, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending all the flocks with his brothers. So these sheep, these cows, all these stuff, with all of his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Ziphlah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Hey, these brothers of mine aren't working super hard, and they're not doing a great job. So he just tells his dad, like, Hey, I just want you to know this. Now, Israel, his name was Jacob. In Scripture, Jacob and Israel is sort of used um, interchangeably sometimes. So Israel, Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. So he made him this really fancy robe that he would wear over all his clothes. Everybody would look at this ornate robe and be like, wow, he is very loved. That's a fancy thing that he's wearing, and and, um, he loved it. So when his brothers saw that their father made him this robe and loved him more than any of them, they hated him. The Bible says that word. They hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. They were mad at him and they didn't like him because Jacob loved him more than they loved him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They were like, we didn't think we could like you less than this, but this dream makes us really not like you. We hate you. He said to them, listen about this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while yours gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So y'all bowed down to me. I probably wouldn't love hearing that story either. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Do you think God's giving you this dream that you are going to reign over us? You're the youngest of us. Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the, and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his, as his brothers, his father even rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his dad, his father said, Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... I'm going to actually keep thinking about this. I'm going to keep this matter in my, in my mind. Maybe this dream that God's placed in your heart and in your life, maybe, maybe there's something to it. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel, Joseph's dad, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied, and he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent them off to the valley, he sent Joseph off to the valley of Hebron. So the brothers have these sheep and these oxen, they're out far away from where they live, making sure that these flocks have plenty to eat. Um, So they're far away from the house. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the field. So Joseph's like, my brothers aren't here where my dad said they're going to be. Where are they? And this man's like, what are you looking for, Joseph? And Joseph replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say they were going to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. So they're all grazing with their field and they, they see their brother out far away from his father's house in the distance. And before he reached them, 
they gathered in a circle and they said, hey, let's plot to kill Joseph. We don't have to deal with his dreams. We don't have to deal with him reporting bad stuff back to his dad. We don't have to look at that crazy coat that our dad gave him. Let's get rid of our brother. No one around here can see. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and let's throw him into one of these cisterns. Cisterns are these holes in the ground where they keep water because the flocks are out there, you know, and they need water because this is, you know, there's not always water available. And they, and we're going to throw him in there and we're going to tell everybody that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to, Reuben was one of the brothers, he tried to rescue Joseph from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern, into this pit right here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this because he was going to go back and rescue him um, when, the, when the brothers and were back with their father, and then he was going to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to the brothers, that Joseph comes to his brothers, they strip him of his robe, that ornate robe that he was wearing, that his dad gave him. They take it off of him, and, and they took him, and they threw him into a pit in the ground, into a cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. They were literally just going to leave him in the pit, in the bottom of this empty pit where there was no water. They were just going to leave him there to die. They sat down to eat their meal, and they looked up, and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take him down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's not do that. Let's do this instead. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. So we don't even have to kill him. We can sell him for money. He'll be good as gone. We'll never know anything else about him. We can sell him for our money. And his brothers all agreed to this. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, out of this pit. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Reuben returned to the cistern and he saw that Joseph wasn't there and he tore his clothes because he didn't know what would happen. That was his brother. He went back to his brothers and he said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, that ornate robe that his dad had made him. They slaughtered a goat. They dipped the robe in the blood and they took this ornate robe back to their father and they said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is Joseph's robe. Jacob, Joseph's dad, recognized it, and he said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Can you imagine the grief of that? Jacob, his dad, tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth, and he's mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. And his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites, remember this, so his dad thinks he's dead. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This doesn't sound like 
It's too much. It can be redeemed from it, right? It feels like it's wasted. His brothers throw him in an empty pit in the middle of the wilderness. And then they decide, hey, a better plan would be for us to sell him into slavery. Let's just send him with these other people. Let's sell him for some money. We'll get some money out of this and we'll convince our dad he's no longer here. They betrayed him. They betrayed him. And this is not just Joseph's story. Everyone in here knows what it feels like to be betrayed. A co-worker has betrayed you. An organization or a church has betrayed you. A friend has betrayed you. A, a spouse has betrayed you. A family member has betrayed you. Someone has betrayed you. Betrayal is when, when you have these, these ties, these faith, this, this sort of these strengths, these anchors of faith, and those are severed, they are cut off, and you are exposed to danger because those things, those ties are severed. There has been something that's happened in everyone's life in here when you have been exposed to danger. Your paycheck's been in danger. Your, your livelihood's been in danger. Your, your security has been in danger. Your happiness and your joy in life has been put in danger because someone has broken your trust, has devised some plan to betray you and to hurt you. Everyone here knows what it feels like to be Joseph at some point in their life. And these are the moments in the pits of life that we cry out to God, what can you do with this, God? And God reminds us that nothing can be wasted. Nothing can be wasted. Listen, betrayal, betrayal isolates us. Betrayal literally took Joseph away from his father, away from his community, away from his home, and it stuck him in a pit with no water and nothing around him. Betrayal isolates you. You felt this. It, it separates you from your friends and your security and the things around you. Betrayal isolates you. The actions of someone else at some point in your life has caused you to feel isolated. Betrayal isolates. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why it hurts so bad. That's why those of you who are sitting here right now are like, I don't know if God can restore this because you feel alone. Betrayal isolates. Betrayal shames. They took something very precious to Joseph. They took that ornate robe off of him and they destroyed it. Betrayal gives shame to you. It takes your identity, the things you're good at. It rips the, the title that you've worked hard for on your office door. It takes it off of the door. It takes your identity off of the door. It takes your trust. It, get, it replaces all of those things with shame. You start to question, am I good enough? Who am I without this? Betrayal gives us shame. And betrayal hurts. Betrayal hurts. It gives you pain, right? There's a moment where you look around and everything around you hurts. Betrayal isolates, it shames, and it hurts. But it is not wasted. I want y'all to hear me. Every single page of this book is about a God who is with you in the shame and the pain. He was not, Joseph was not in that cistern with no water by himself. God was with him. He was not on the camel headed to Egypt by himself. God was with him. He was not without a coat of many colors that gave him worth and identity and he felt important and special and like his dreams meant something. That he was not alone when that was ripped off of him. God was with him. And so for those of you who have endured the pain of betrayal, I want you to hear me. God is with you. 
God is with you when you are isolated and you feel all alone. God is with you when you are shamed and you have no idea who you are or what you're good at. God is with you and loves you and has a purpose for you. God is with you when you hurt and when you need healing and restoration. God is there. That's the promise. God's not a genie. God's not magic. God's not going to whoosh, fly in and fix it. But God is with you in all of these moments. You are never alone. And the first step in believing that nothing is wasted is that we have to know God is always with us. The creator of the world who, who makes sure nothing is wasted is with us always. Because I want, to I want you to hear what happens in Joseph's story. I'm going to give a little bit of spoiler alert. But you have to know that betrayal and isolation and shame and hurt is not going to have the final word. Isolation gives space for us to dream again. Because our dreams do not belong to our brothers or sisters. It does not belong to our coworker. It does not belong to our supervisor. Our dreams belong to God. The dream that God has placed in your heart will not be ruined by betrayal because it doesn't belong to the people who betrayed you. It doesn't belong to the people who gave you identity. Your dream belongs to God. Your dream belongs to God. In a, in a few chapters, what your, Joseph is, is in prison waiting for his assignment as, as, a, as a slave. He's sitting there and other guys are having dreams and they come to Joseph and they say, we're having these dreams. And he's like, I can interpret dreams. I've had them before myself. God, in his isolation, in this prison, away from everybody, God says, Joseph, you still have important things to do. I'm still going to give you dreams. I'm still going to send people to you with dreams. You will never be alone because in the isolation away from all of that God gives Joseph space to dream again he begins to dream again about what God is calling him to do in the place where he is because his dream didn't belong to those brothers who betrayed him his dream belonged to God and the same thing is true to you true for you your dream does not belong to the people who betrayed you your dream belongs to God shame Shame gives us space for God to claim us again because our identity belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the people who betrayed you. It doesn't belong to your circumstances. Who you are as a child of God, what God has set you on earth to do, what God has placed the dreams in your heart to do, no one else on earth can do. And those dreams do not belong to the people who betray you. Those dreams belong to God and God's goodness in this world right here and right now. Shame will give space for God to claim us again. They ripped that ornate robe off of Joseph. And I want you to hear what's going to happen in a couple chapters. The Pharaoh the, the king, the ruler of Egypt, hears about Joseph's ability to dream and his, his way that he created this whole new culture and this new way of living in prison for these guys. And he says, I want this guy to work for me. He, he's intelligent, he's wise, he's smart, he knows what he's doing. And he pulls him out of prison and puts him in this position to rule and to make decisions for the country. Because shame, when they took that robe off of him, when they destroyed it, when they took that identity from him, God says, you still have an identity in me. You are are smart, you are brilliant, you can see things that nobody else sees, and I'm going to still use you. Because shame, in that moment of saying, I don't know who I am, I don't have this coat to put on to figure out who I am, I don't have this, this thing on my office to say, I'm Erica Allen, co-pastor, whatever. Like, just because those things are ripped from you doesn't mean that God doesn't still want God's dream to live in your life. Shame 
that moment of saying, who am I really? It gives us space for God to claim us again, to speak an identity over you, the identity that God has for you. And hurt, hurt gives space for God to restore us again, to heal us and the whole world again, because restoration and healing belongs to God. In, in a few, way few chapters, we're going to hear about Jesus who God gave to the world, who would be betrayed himself for 11 shekels of silver, not 20. He would be betrayed. Everyone would try to cut us off from the goodness of God offered to us through Jesus Christ. The whole world would conspire against us and try to betray Jesus. And God would say, no, you, you will not be isolated from me. You, you will not be shamed. You, you will still have an identity through me, through Jesus Christ and what he will offer to the world, and you will not hurt, you will know healing, because these, this pain will not have the last word. Jesus will rise again and offer us something new. God does the same thing to Joseph in his story. He grows up, he has kids of his own, and he raises his kids in a different way. Hurt gives space for God to restore us and the whole world, because restoration belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the people who betrayed us and are creating these things around us. Restoration, wholeness, healing comes from God. It belongs to God. I want y'all to hear me. This is how I'm going to finish today. Your story, your life, the betrayal that you have endured will not be wasted because our future belongs to God. God right now is writing a story that is going to include detours and, and deep dark pits where you feel all alone. It's going to include shame and pain and isolation. It's going to include betrayal but the future that God has for you belongs to God. Our future does not belong to the people who will betray us, who will not tell us the truth, who will, who will work out to sever us away from the things that give us happiness and joy. Our future does not belong to those people. Our future belongs to God. God has a dream and a purpose for you and for your life. God has a purpose and a dream for your life. And that future belongs to God. What does it look like for you to take all the mess that's on the bottom of your heart, to scoop it up and give it to God? The pain, the shame, the hurt, the isolation. God, can you mix that with your goodness, with, with the things that you have in the world? Can you, and can you use it for fuel for new life? And you know what God says? Nothing is wasted. Yes, I can. It's going to be fuel for you to shine light and ignite change, to live into those dreams that God has placed into your heart. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I just thank you so much that you are a God who wastes no part of our story. God, you are not a God who causes the pain or the shame or the brokenness. You are not the God who orchestrates betrayal, but you are a God. You are a God who uses those circumstances and those moments to intrude into our lives through grace and to offer us a new way of life. And this morning, God, we offer whatever betrayal and pain and shame and hurt, we offer it all back to you this morning, God. And we ask you, God, to do what only you can do. Mix it with that goodness that you have in the world and create something new. Use us again to shine light and ignite change. Give us dreams for your people again, God. Restore us. 
and remind us, God, that that our future belongs to you. We give it back over to you this morning, God. Amen.